So everybody, really excited to have Barry on. Barry is somebody I've known for a little while now, and, uh, and he's a wealth of knowledge. So today we're going to talk about a lot of exciting stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about his background, but we're also going to transition into some of the hot topics into SEO and, and some recent ones that are really big, like the core web vitals that's, that's happening. And then we'll talk a little bit about news and a, a few of the things to kind of keep an eye out for in the, the future of search, you know, so we'll, we'll be hanging out here for, for a little bit. But first thing, if you haven't met Barry before, Barry, can, would you mind just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do, if you don't mind? Um, so on the search side, I've been writing about search since 2003 um, at the Search Engine Roundtable. I also um, write at Search Engine Land. I'm the news editor there. I uh, speak at or help run most of the moderate most of the conferences around the xmx brand search marketing expo um i am just a big search geek i also have a youtube channel so we'll do a collab here and subscribe to my youtube channel that's what the youtubers say um i just broke ten thousand subscribers this week so i'm very excited about that how many of you guys have nice congratulations uh we're up to about 30 30 or 40 or so, yeah, so, so. a lot so so hopefully you guys will subscribe to mine no, anyway uh, and um so i do that every friday i still have a vlog which i got to get you on next time i travel out to, and see you at a conference so hopefully yeah. i'll get you on my vlog um and then uh on the business side i also run a web development firm in new york we do software development mobile app development um that's where i mostly make my money um i don't support myself on writing seo stories got it yeah, yeah, I highly recommend everybody check out Barry's channel. I, I never miss a week. Uh, fantastic in-depth reporting on search marketing. It's really, really amazing stuff. Uh, so uh, if you want to stay up to date there, definitely, definitely do it. And so, so Barry, well, let's take a step back because I want to I wanna ask you about news. And, and you've learned a lot about news and you're very, very good at it. You know, one of the best and the highest awarded in the industry, which is um, just, just so cool. And so I want to learn a couple of tricks from you on the news side and, and where your passion comes from. But I was kind of wondering, maybe, how did you even get into search? Like, where did it start? And, and who were a couple of people that influenced you? And, and how did you get into search marketing when you're more on the development side? You know, what, what did that evolution look like? So I think like most um, people who got into search, um, it was like a client who, well, at least in the early days, it was a client who they built, you know, websites for, software for, and they're like, how come we're not ranking in, I don't know, AltaVista back then or, you know, whatever the old search engines were. So you do some online searches in AltaVista or Excite or whatever the search engines were, and then off come these SEO forums and these different SEO communities online. Um, so that's really kind of interesting to me. Like some of my clients were like, you know, how does this search engine work? Um, and you know, we just did some research back then. It was just pretty much content spamming and stuff like that. Um, uh, but that kind of, and it was fascinating just to see the SEO community constantly track and test things and try different things and see what happens and then follow the Google dances back in the early days. It was just a very exciting area. So while we didn't necessarily do SEO for our clients, um, outside of just build their websites, um, and then obviously move into software development, um, it was something that I personally just became passionate about just tracking what's changing and what people are saying about it has has seo i, I mean kind of I, I feel like seo has evolved so much i wonder if it's lost its excitement a little bit i mean when i when i first got into it you know there was the google dance you know there was you know matt cuts there was black hat there's white hat does it feel more tame now to you than it did you know five or ten years ago 
it's definitely uh, matured, I guess. They have a yeah. lot more SEO professionals, SEM professionals working in the industry. Um, a lot of the things you could do with the algorithms today are much harder. You can't really spam as easily as you used to. It used to be like, just gotta get yeah. a few links, write some content, um, and you can rank for anything you wanted to. So it was definitely more of a wild, wild west back in the day, which made it more fun, I guess, made it more enjoyable to like test these things. Um, yeah. But now it's much more like you're doing general marketing. It's a much more wide scale environment where you have to act properly, you have to be professional. You shouldn't be having like pandas walking behind your back <laughs> while you're being interviewed. Yep. Um, I try to find the excitement of the old days in my, on my, on my blog. I think that's why a lot of old time SEOs still read what I write. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe the newer ones are going to more polished news sites. Um, but I try to still find that fun by tracking those Google updates even when we have them today when they're unconfirmed, trying to find some little hidden, you know, messages and what Google's writing about or what they're saying. Um, try to find leading spam techniques that people are trying or that's working in Google and kind of writing about that type of stuff. Not that it will last long, but I just, I, I miss the old days, like most SEOs who've been in the industry as long as us, uh, we do miss the old days of the, of those, those times when things are constantly changing and a lot, a lot of fun. I, I appreciate that. And we all really do appreciate it. You know, I think, you know, the reason I fell in love with digital marketing in general is just because, you know, with one little piece of knowledge and, and being scrappy and, and finding something that works that nobody else knows, you can have explosive results. And it has gotten tighter in, in search, but we appreciate you reporting on all those little things that nobody else even, even talks about. And so that's, that's one reason why I frequent the blog and a lot of other people do. So I want to shift gears a little bit. So, you know, recently we were talking a lot about voice search and, you know, I was speaking at SMX and, and you were there and you're moderating and voice search seemed to be one of those things kind of like on your blog where people were just so excited about it. You know, the assistant, you know, they're talking about, um, you know, dialogue flow and all these things. What, what's the latest with voice search? Are you seeing less people excited about it now? And has there been a shift away from it recently because of distractions from COVID or just in general? I'm, I'm interested to hear your, your thoughts there. I don't think voice search is necessarily less exciting. I think in the early days, it was like, wow, search engines or AI or technology can actually understand what I'm saying and interpret that. Um, you still, if you watch the Google research blog or AI blog, you'll still read about their advancements in, in voice understanding and voice interpretation. Um, you look at any kid who's talking on their phone, they're basically not even texting anymore. They're tight. They're talking to their phone. They're not, most people just talk to their devices. You go in any car these days, you go, you buy a new fridge, you buy a microwave, you buy anything. It comes with voice enabled operations and IOT and all this other stuff that's you know, enabled across the web. So you can search on any device using voice or other methods. You can talk to your thermostats. You can talk to anything. So I think voice is, it's everywhere. It's, and it's, and it's fascinating that it's everywhere. And I think for search marketers, it still should be something that is very, very fascinating, something that people, people should look into. Um, I just did a recent vlog um, with Katherine Waiter, um, who was very excited about voice search. She said, some, in, us, in some industries, it makes a lot more sense. In some industries, it doesn't. So I don't know, when it comes to like Google's featured snippets, those tend to be voice responses from Google Home Hubs and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I think just recently Google said, I think a week or two ago, Google said they're allowing voice purchases uh, through Google Home. They're actually testing transactions that you can actually go ahead and authorize from voice. Obviously, Amazon's been doing that for a while with Alexa um, through different settings. 
So I think it's something that um, people should still look into. I think, um, you know, obviously people are not out and about as much as they are these days and not as they walking around the streets um, and so forth. But I think when things start to return to normal, um, which they slowly are, and hopefully we'll have a vaccine soon, I think, you know, voice search will still pick up. And I think, I just think the accelerations you're getting in terms of um, where you were from, you know, being able to understand voice, um, you know, maybe five years ago to where we are today, the scale is getting a little less. Like you can make major jumps back in the old days, but now it's like any little small tweak, it, it makes a small incremental change. Um, and it's not as, wow, that's made such a big improvement. Yeah. Uh, but I still think it's exciting, exciting for marketers. That's really interesting. And I, 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 I'm glad you brought up the point about now being able to not only transact on Amazon via voice, but now you can do it via Google. Now you can transact via Google, you know, via voice. And that's a big change. And I just, you know, I always struggle with, you know, what to recommend to certain businesses based off of certain marketing budgets, because there's so many different things that you can do inside of Google. So should we spend a bunch of time building a Google Assistant app? Should we spend, you know, a bunch of time, um, you know, dealing with this other news that just came out, which I, I wonder if this is going to pull away from the voice search craze, which is this whole thing around core web vitals. So, I mean, it's my understanding that Google came out recently in the last week or so with core web vitals, which is now a look at things like page speed, a look at things like, you know, how, how is Google really like, how are users really using the page, these more of these kind of on-page usability metrics. And now they're saying that there's going to be an update around it. Did I get that right? So there's going to be an update around that late this year or early next year. Could you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, I guess sometime last month, Google announced um, on the Chrome team, something called Core Web Vitals. And Core Web Vitals basically looks at, you know, how fast the page loads. And this is not new stuff. We had these in the speed algorithm and the page load algorithm and stuff like that. It also looked at things like, um, is the page like shifting around? So, you know, when you load a web page, like things might like jump and you might try to click on something and it's still loading and it might jump somewhere. So there's like three new elements in this, what they're calling core web vitals. Uh, one is largest content, contentful paint. One is first input delay. And the last one is cumulative layout shift. Mm -hmm. um, and then what Google announced like about three weeks after that, um, on May 28th, I think, or not to date this, that they're coming out with a new set of, ranking of uh, features or ranking signals called Google page experience update. And part of the page experience update is those core web vitals, those three things, as well as some older things like mobile friendliness, safe browsing, HTTPS, and those not, and not having intrusive interstitial ads and so forth on the page. So those four last ones were old ones. They have independent signals for those and they always did. They also had independent signals for speed, uh, you know, speed update, which we had for a while. The cumulative layout shift is new. Google's basically saying in 2021 at some point, not this year, but sometime next year, and they will give us six months notice. This is just an announcement that they will give us six months notice about when it's gonna launch. So at some point we will say, hey, we're gonna be launching this Google page experience update on, give a date sometime in 2021. Um, and we don't know how much these are gonna be weighted. Right now we know the HTTPS update is very, very weighted, very lowly, very slow, it's not a big update. Uh, we know that you know mobile friendliness it's you know not a massive update it's something there you know that when the google launched not having intrusive ads and so forth that wasn't even a big update um so and how important are speed updates they seem to be very very minor in terms of the weights of the algorithms yeah. so the question is you know what will how much of an impact will this have when this launches 
I don't think it's going to be massive. Obviously, it might be a tiebreaker for if you have exactly the same content as somebody else and you're both trustworthy websites and you rank everything, everything else the same way, um, then the page experience factors might come into play. Um, and again, Core Web Vitals is basically Google standardizing around those three metrics. Um, and page experience is around incorporating some type of brand around this update so that Google can include other things in the future into this. So it's not going to just be these, you know, several things in this, in this, these several um, singles in this page experience update. It could be more in the future. Let me ask you a question. How many people do you think are going to, how many blogs do you think are going to be written on Core Web Vitals? Uh, good question. Uh, core Web Vitals. <laughs> so far, we have... Um, over 500,000 results in Google and counting, so. <laughs> Unbelievable. The reason I ask is because when the mobile first update came out, we had, it felt like a long time. I don't remember exactly how long, maybe it was a year or something. And I think I wrote at least 15 and I'm just one person. So yeah, I probably wrote like a hundred or so, but yeah, so <laughs> Google released the mobile friendly update, which is part of the page experience and also Google's yeah. mobile first indexing. Mobile friendly update, I think we had several months to prepare for. That was pretty cool. I mean, that got people ready to get their sites mobile friendly. The mobile first indexing is still on. It's still, I think it was announced in 2017 and it's still rolling out. It's, it's not even done yet. It might be done by the end of the year, maybe. Uh, they said the due date for that was September 2020, but they might extend that now because of COVID. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting how some things take forever to load and sometimes Google does these massive you know, algorithm updates um, and they, sites get hit left and right and they don't give no announcement about that. So. So is, is it more from your understanding about page speed or site design, this core web vitals, or is it both? It's both. I mean, it's all those little elements. So page speed are the first two in the core web vitals. Uh, the cumulative layout shift is about, does the page jump around? Um, and then the other things are like, is the page mobile friendly? Also, these are all different elements in there. Is Google going to say, you know, obviously ads being in a bad spot. That's one of the other out, you know, factors. It's about how the page loads and how it renders. Uh, the question is what else will they add to this? So we don't know yet. So one of the things that's always frustrated me is out of, I feel like I understand most things in SEO, maybe 99%, right? It's, it's my profession. We do a lot of different types of digital here, but started in SEO. One of the things that's really, really bugged me is first content painful like that particular page speed thing has been a really hard nut to crack. Do you have any experience on that side or do you have, do you, do you, have you thought much about that? It's funny. So I have a team of developers in my office. That's what we do is web development. I'm like, we got to get rustybrick.com to be, you know, hundred percent across all metrics. So fine. He spent a day, he got it all up to be hundred percent. And then six months later, Google made a change and now it's down to whatever percent, you know, 80 for 80 out of hundred. So then after having to spend another, you know, day on it, it's not, they're not necessarily, you know, that it's not one metric you have to worry about because you might be hundred percent and the page still might take forever to load for a user. Um, so it's not necessarily always about um, user metrics, although Google's Chrome, one of some of these are actually using not just, you know, a specific score, how well does it rank in terms of the score of the first input delay. They're also using user metrics from Chrome data. How fast is it actually taking the page to load for real world users? Um, so you kind of got to have to balance it all and just do what's best for the user. Um, there's no one specific thing, but any web developer could like, make tweaks to make things load faster. The question is, at what point are you spending way too much money and your resources on making a page load 0.000% faster or not? Yeah, 100%. I just, I think we do a lot of website transfers and design here, and I just think it's going to be such a big 
change, you know, because now page speed is going to be such a big part of the website checklist and now design as well. And I think, I just wonder if people are going to use this in some way to try to drive somewhat some fear or some, some new business, you know, into people, you know, is it really going to be all that necessary? What's going to be, you know, the, like at the end of the day, say you put in all this money and resources into this and then it only ends up being something where, you know, it, it impacts, you know, uh, 5% of the algorithm or 2% of the algorithm. Those are always the questions, but we'll work through it and we'll, we'll debunk, I mean, you know, that's debunk a good question. And help, help clients, you know, so. I mean, that's a good question because again, um, when Google launched a mobile friendly update, Danny Sullivan decided to call it, um, when he wasn't at Google, mobile get in. And to instill fear in people like, oh, Google it's also makes it for a good story. Um, but Google's like, no, it's not a get in. It's not going to destroy the web. It's not going to destroy your rankings. It's going to be fine. Just do your best. And you have plenty of time to prepare for it. Um, so I think this is the same thing. I don't think you have to freak out about this. Obviously, making these tweaks and making your website faster and better for users and yada, yada, are all going to improve your conversion rates anyway. So it's a win-win situation. Uh, but I wouldn't obsess about this. I, I think we should come up with a name right now that's like like mobile getting for core web vitals like uh, um, uh, emergency vital check or emergency <laughs> um, core web vital mageddon I don't know I, somebody's gonna do it I, I'm kind of joking I thought about it I actually thought about it. I'm like you know what because now that Danny's at Google it would be funny uh, to do that back at him because um, I was kind of against the whole get in name uh, but he's like, we got to do it. Um, I was thinking about, it. I have to came up with a bunch of names. You know what? I'm like, I'm just going to call it what Google's calling it and not instill fear. Cause it doesn't really help our readers or the readers in the world to actually instill fear, especially for this update. Cause I don't, I really don't think this is going to be a massive, um, like your rankings are going to drop significantly if you have a poor score. Death by website vitals. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I, I think that's smart way to take the, the upper road there, Barry. So, uh, so, you know, one thing, you know, you, you were one of the first people to report on this and, um, you know, some other people did too. Talk to me about news a little bit. Talk to me about news sites, you know, what drives you to do that? And is there anything you've kind of learned over the years that makes a successful news site? I think a lot of people maybe they, they try to think, well, should I create evergreen content? Should I create news content? Why, why have you chosen the news route? Um, I don't know. I get a thrill from it. I enjoy, well, I started researching a round table pretty much to keep a notebook of what the SEO community is talking about. So I basically scour the SEO forums and social media now to say, all right, what is the community talking about? What's hot? What should I put down in my notebook to cover it, to make sure I remember this? And just people started to follow it. Um, and I still enjoy covering what's changing. Cause then I can look back at it 10 years later, 15 years later and say, oh, okay. Like, not to promote anything, but XMX Next is coming up in, I don't know, I think June 18th or something. I'm giving like a SEO keynote at XMX Next on how Google algorithms have changed over the course of the years and what that means for SEO. Um, and I basically take you through 20 years of algorithm updates, which is fun for me. I enjoy that topic and say, where are we going with these updates? Uh, it's really nice to, to paint a picture and to have history of what has changed over the years and then say, all right, there's a signal here. There's a pattern here that Google pretty much wants to rank pages that they find to be the most important, the most authoritative, the most useful to users. And you can see that obviously with the page experience update, mobile friendly and so forth, but even algorithm updates that try to promote 
better quality content or that that's what they're aiming to do. They don't always get it right, but even with the Florida update, you know, it solved certain problems back in 2003. The, you know, all these different updates have solved problems or they're aimed to solve problems. So it's always interesting. And I get a thrill out of covering breaking stories about an update before Google announces them. Um, sometimes I've gotten Google to confirm updates that happened um, weeks ago and they wouldn't talk about it. Um, and I think, I think documenting these updates, even though, you know, some people say, why do we shouldn't chase the algorithm? I'm not saying chase the algorithm. I'm saying if a client gets hit on day, you know, on certain, on a certain date, um, it would be useful to know that Google pushed out an update versus you making a mistake. Was there a technical bug that you made on your website or was something that Google did on their end? And I think it's very useful to have. And that's why I think it's important to cover despite some people thinking it's not a good idea to cover it. Um, and I like to document this stuff. So I enjoy writing about what's going on in the industry. Um, and the best way to do that is to do it through a news platform, I believe. It's been real helpful. I mean, and, you know, I think about some of these updates that have happened, you know, when expertise, authority and trustworthiness, you know, kind of became a thing, um, you know, that was so helpful for us to know because we had a couple clients who got hit. We developed an EAT checklist. So all the things that they would need to do, like have a profile on their blog, you know, show that there was an author, um, you know, update, um, you know, uh, some of the, the, the text and all that. There's, we have a whole checklist, but we would go through and go through those things that Google gave us. Now we found out ourselves and update the site. And actually, we, in some cases, we saw 100% recovery from that. So if, if we don't know about the algorithm updates, you might never get uh, the traffic back. You know, one of the recent ones that you covered and that I've been covering, and I still think people are having a tough time with, is the BERT update. Um, as far as the Google bird update, is there anything that you saw there or was there anything unique about that one? Well, it's not, I mean, first of all, Google BERT is not an algorithm update. It's how Google understands the query that people enter in and the content on your page. It basically gives Google the ability to better understand language, I guess. Um, it doesn't mean that Google changed your rankings. It just means that Google's better able to understand what the person's typing into the search engine as a query so they could understand that and how it matches to content on the, on, the, on the page. I guess technically it could ultimately result in some clients' rankings going up and down for certain keyword phrases. It affected more of the long tail keyword phrases, I believe, based on that information. 10% of queries were affected across 70 different languages as far as I heard. Um, so it definitely had an impact, um, but it was only a 10% impact on longer tail keywords. Um, so I don't think it was necessarily like, how do I crack? How do I, you know, optimize for BERT? You can't optimize for BERT. Um, there's no way to optimize your pages for BERT. Um, it's basically just Google trying to figure out how to understand English or uh, certain languages better. Uh, and it's pretty amazing if you, if you, if you dig, dig, if you dig into the actual documents, the patents around this and what the white papers say around this from Google and other companies, that's very interesting. Google, Bing uses it as well, or they used to use it. Um, it's just basically a way for, for them to understand how to make search better. Um, it's not quality. It's not, it's not a quality algorithm. It's not a penalty algorithm. It's, it's just understanding language. Well, let me, let me challenge you on that one a little bit. And I want to hear, feel free to challenge me back. So on BERT, one of the main things that I saw is that it was very intent driven. So uh, for example, before, you know, you might've had a page that was a whole bunch of different articles that were ranking. And then after BERT, Bert might have decided that, oh, the user doesn't actually want to see articles there. 
what they want to see is definitions or a what is or a list or um, or a news item. So because it was so intent driven, um, I personally across our clients and then other analysis, I saw a very, very big shift. And I 100% agree with all the things that you said uh, regarding the long tail. But one of the things that that was a huge differentiator for us, and so even some of the properties that I own is we would go in and change the intent of the content. Because if we didn't have a piece of content that had the right intent to rank, it would have zero chance. So I think that, um, you know, it's almost like a hummingbird or a penguin or a panda. I mean, it's a fundamental change to everything. Uh, but the intent seemed to make a big difference. And I, I, I imagine you saw some stuff around that as well, correct? Or do you disagree? It's hard to say if it was ranked brain versus some other algorithmic. Um, so, or BERT, or it could, I mean, it could be anything. I mean, Rank Brain, for example, is, is the next generation of BERT on some level. They're still using both. Uh, they use for different purposes. Um, so type of query will, for, you know, this type of query, we'll use BERT to understand the query and match the content. For Rank Brain, we'll use it for this purpose. So they, Google has many different um, AI and machine learning algorithms for different purposes. Um, so it's, it's hard to say, and it might've been something else that affected um, around the same time. I know often sometimes Google release one algorithm on the core update on the same time that Google release RankBrain or BERT or something like else. And it makes things much harder to know what was the cause. Um, intent is a qu question I ask Google a lot about. I know Bing has talked a lot about intent and how it's important and Google's like, we don't really look at necessary intent. Uh, it's hard for us to understand what intent is. Um, but at the same time, there's clear evidence over the years that you know, intent is important, you know, previous query, well, you know, a lot of stuff around that is, is important. So uh, I'm not going to say you're wrong. It's just hard for me to say, hey, that, that where your client actually dropped on this date and Google announced uh, BERT um, a week before that or something like that, I can't say it's related to BERT or something else. It's hard to say. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I agree with you. And, um, you know, I will say we have seen some success going in and modifying content based off of intent if it wasn't ranking before, but, you know, rank brain and, you know, Bert and there's a lot of lot going on with Google. Maybe, you know, some of the subtleties, uh, you know, are, could be playing a role there. You know, one thing that, that I, I find really interesting is Google still uses links for ranking. I mean, Barry, can we just get rid of links? Why can't we get rid of links for SEO? I think Matt Cutts said, I don't know, maybe a year before he left, he tried that. They tried like an experiment, not live, but experiment to see how bad search results would get if they got rid of links totally as part of the weight, the factors. And it was horrible. They just couldn't do it. Um, I know, um, I think Yandex announced something where for certain types of queries in certain industries, they wouldn't look at links at all because it was just too spammy. Uh, but according to Google, at least they're more sophisticated with the penguin updates and different types of things where pink penguins real time um, and they just devalue links as if they're not there if they're spammy then you know they figured hey we were able to handle links in very spammy areas um, so based on the tests that i heard in the past getting rid of links is not going to make search quality better the search results better um, so it's still i think probably one of the more important factors that and content i mean that hasn't changed since google first launched it's content and, and links
it's pretty amazing how many things you can talk about for SEO. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to mostly content and links, probably, probably 80% of, um, of, of what's going on there. So, so, you know, what, where's, where are we headed in the future? I mean, are, first, are you happy with where SEO is now and where's it headed in the future? Where, where do you think it should go? I mean, just, you've been a part of this for a while. What are your thoughts there? Am I happy with SEO or search? Which one are both? Um, Let's talk about uh, search in general. Right, so search in general, um, yeah, I mean, things have, um, it's, it's sophisticated. It's much more complicated than it was back in the early days. I think the older days were way funner. So we'll follow the Google dances and every 30 days go into the forums, say, oh, this IP at this data center at Google was updating. We have to track it, see how our page rank changed. Oh, I got a page rank eight. I'm going to rank for anything I want now. This is great. Um, those were fun. But, you know, at the same time, we have a lot of things going on. We have a lot more communication from Google these days than we did it back in, you know, the early 2000s. Um, so there's other things that are interesting there. Um, search is obviously much more saturated than it ever was. More competition out there than it ever was. Um, things are, con you know, schema, all this other stuff. There's so many more things to keep on, keep on top of, uh, which obviously gives you guys um, a lot more job security, hopefully. Um, so, I mean, you know, I don't think I'm upset with it. I think it was the earlier days were a lot more fun. I think today it's, there's a lot of fun things you could do out there. There's still some things in the wild, wild west area, like Google Maps spam and stuff like that. So you can always have fun there as well. But I think we're in a place right now where I think Google could confidently say search quality and organic search has been pretty good. The make core update has, according to a lot of people, resulted in a little negative um, feed, feedback from the SEO community. Uh, but I think overall, I think search is in a really stable place. I think it's um, something Google has done an amazing job over the course of years, and I think they're continuing to improve it. Um, is it perfect? No. Will it ever be perfect? No. Uh, but it's very exciting to keep watching Google make these small changes and to see um, how they can tweak out even more, I guess, for, you know, top quality results if they can. One of the things on, on that note that you just mentioned that I'm really interested in is, you know, I see schema as being a really, really big part of the future if there can be more adoption because there's so many different, it's not just 10 links anymore, right? It's, um, it's the knowledge graph, it's, you know, features for flights and hotels and weddings and all, you know, there's so many, I actually have a, um, a, a map that shows 50 different ways that you can influence Google with schema by adding specific types of schema to your website. That comes into voice search. You know, you can build um, actions into the assistant by adding schema. I mean, how do you think schema is going to continue to have big adoption? And I just, I worry a little bit about blowback from Google by taking too much data from people in that area. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, when schema was first launched, it was interesting. That was like the debate. Should we go give Google our data without them having to do much effort on their end? Then they're going to start going ahead and using that for, you know, their one boxes and they won't send us traffic, the whole zero click thing, um, the controversy around that. Um, but I think it's proven that schema will result generally, not always, sometimes how-to schema, certain, most schemas will generally result in a higher click-through rate on your search listings. Not all, like how-to schema has been not great, I think, for that. Uh, but most of them will. Um, it not, won't necessarily make you rank better, um, at least according to Google and a lot of SEOs but it will definitely help with the click-through rate and also help Google understand your content better. Um, 
so I think you have to test it, you know, on a client by client basis and maybe even page by page basis to see, is it worth adding after you added it and should you keep it on there or not? Um, and usually the case is, yes, it's worth adding. It will drive more customers, it will drive more traffic, it will drive more um, conversions. Um, I was a little bit shocked, and I think some people at Google were a little bit shocked or, um, that schema is still around today. I know Gary from Google Base has said in, in the old days that schema is something that he hoped Google wouldn't need to, to use and that they'll be able to figure it out themselves. But clearly, it's been working for them. A lot of people have been adding it. A lot of the CMS platforms automatically edit. So it's been adopted pretty widely. I'm more curious to see what's going to happen with the nofollow changes. Um, Google made a policy change with that. They haven't really done anything with ranking yet, from what I understand. Um, so I'm more curious about what's going to change there. But I think schema, I think Google's has proven they're all in on that. I think they're going to keep adding more schema, keep adding more reporting on schema to Search Console. So I, would, I wouldn't shy away from that. I would definitely spend, you know, resources on that. Okay, so you like schema, and you were one of the first people to talk about the speakable schema. I think you had that on your website. That was that was pretty darn cool. So you can actually get you know Google to um, talk about your page from the assistant, and then you just touched on something that's really interesting, which is the you know the rel sponsored, the no follow, the rel UGC, the new ways to to mark up links, and then um, now Google is looking at no followed and not necessarily counting it. So that's, that's kind of interesting as well. So those are, those are definitely some, some things to keep, keep an eye out for. And then, you know, in addition to that, I, you know, just one of the other things that I think, you know, last topics for us today is maybe, maybe AMP and JavaScript. I mean, what is going on there? I mean, AMP, now they're making it so that it's not a uh, prerequisite to be inside of the stories. Do you think AMP is going to be something that's that's going to stay around long term, or do you think they'll pull back on that? So Google just announced um, something around AMP. Um, Google basically said, with the page experience update, that when they launch it, AMP is no longer to be, be required for top stories on mobile. Yeah. Um, so if you, as long as you have a good page experience, fast, yada yada yada, um, Google will rank normal web pages um, well in AMP uh, without AMP. So the question is, and we did a poll at Search Engine Land, or kind of a survey at Search Engine Land, which didn't really result in anything, like an informal survey. Um, will publishers still use AMP after page experience update goes live? Because if you don't need to maintain a separate, um, I guess, you know, code base to publish for AMP, well, is it worth it? And I'm not a huge fan of having multiple, you know, things to debug. So if something goes wrong with your website, did it go wrong with your AMP page? Did something go wrong with your AMP page? Did it go wrong with your website? You should have one, you know, thing. So I, my opinion will be that AMP will go away um, over the next, I don't know, year or so. I don't know. I, don't know. I think people will, less people will adopt it after the page experience update goes live. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, some people will continue to use AMP. I don't think it's still a great way to make your webpage and it makes things fast and everything. But I think most people will be like, you know, why am I maintaining two different code bases? Uh, yeah. For this, the headline um, of this video is going to be uh, "Amp goes away in one year." Prediction very short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kidding. Obviously, that's not what you said. Uh, yeah. You just said that it might not be around forever. And and you know, I, I agree with that because what happened is one one of the things I saw that caught my eye is a um, John Mueller 
somebody said at one point, well, you know, we might not need AMP in the future, or we've learned a lot from AMP. We don't know if we need it. Um, so Barry, give us a couple plugs. Like where can people follow you moving forward? Um, what else is like, what's the next big event? I want to be there myself. Like what's big coming up in your life um, professionally right now? Professionally, not personally. Okay. Um, <laughs> you can tap personally too, if, if you like. I'd love to hear that as well. No, no, nothing. Um, so um, uh, definitely uh, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, um, youtube.com slash Rusty Brick. Um, I'm on Twitter at Rusty Brick as well. Um, I, I tweet a lot. So if you want to, if you're into that, follow there. Uh, search your round table, search your land. Um, my main company is Rusty Brick. And um, the next big event will be XMX next. I think that's happening on the the eighteenth of this month. Uh, I'm going to be giving you a keynote about. Um, I'm going to be giving a keynote about. What am I giving a keynote about? I'm giving a keynote about algorithm updates. So it's going to be fun to to watch that um, because I'm going to pretty much take you through a twenty year history of algorithm updates over the years. So it's going to be fun to to see all that that's going on there. So I recommend just registering. It's free. Um, you don't have to do anything with that. It's a free event. Um, and I think we have like 10,000 or so people already registered to go to it. So hundred percent recommend you going to XMX next on that. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's so smart and I can't wait to see what you put together. One of the things I've heard recently is the best way to predict the future is to, to learn from, from the past and, uh, it'll be uh, good to, to get that, um, all in our head. Barry, thank you so much for spending time with us today. If you're on the podcast, our backgrounds have been changing uh, every uh, every minute or so here. So and then if you're on video, you're just messing around. Thank you so much to all of our viewers and listeners. And Barry, thanks again for being on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Talk soon. Bye.